Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Others, How Christ Engages with the World, and it is part of the Stretch Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Well, this is our last uh, 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 sermon in the book of Jonah, and I really hate to leave it because what a, what a great book and much more to it than I even thought. And I know most people, you say the book of Jonah, of course, they think it's a, about a, a guy getting swallowed by a fish. But the book of Jonah is so much more than that. This prophet of God, this man of God, this man in covenant relationship with God that was in a disagreement with God about how God felt about the world around him. He, w- he was very aware. It wasn't like Jonah didn't know. And he just, he, you know, how as a pastor for 30, 40, almost 40 years, uh, I've spent many years thinking People just didn't know. They just needed information. And if I would give them some information, they would change, of course. And I would get up on Sunday and I would preach these sermons because I would see problems in the congregation. I would see problems in people's lives. And uh, it was really bad in the days when I didn't preach series. And I would plan the sermon every week, like on Saturday. So I would have the fuel of everything people had said to me all week, everybody that had annoyed me, Everybody that had rejected me, and I would cut up on Sunday, and I, I really thought I could straighten them out with a good sermon, and it never, ever worked. I remember one time the wrong people got offended. I, re- I preached this angry sermon back when I was a young pastor. I preached this angry sermon, and I watched this group of people get up and leave, and they weren't the people I was mad at. <laughs> the wrong people got offended. The people that I wanted to get Upset, didn't even get it. <laughs> didn't even, they thought that was for those people that walked out. So I don't do that so much anymore. Partly because I know that change is a deep work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And basically, we don't change till the pain of staying the same gets greater than the pain of change. That's when we change. So it's way more complicated. So Jonah, Jonah was very aware of what was going on. He was very aware that God was telling him to go to Nineveh, and he was very aware that he and God had a different idea about the world. I I was reminded as I was preparing today for this, for today, that King David said uh, one time, God is for me. And that verse has brought me a lot of comfort through the years. But from the story of Jonah, we learned that is a statement that everyone in the world can make. Jonah liked to say God is for me, but he didn't like to say God is for them, the other people. I'm going to talk to you about the other people today. I want to ask you a question that's going to go up there on the screen so you can read it, and it's, uh, it's in your app. By the way, by the way, my blog is in the app. I wrote my blog this week on the story of John. Was it okay, Megan? It was good. Megan loved it. I don't want to ask you if you read it or not. I, I, I would talk to you, but you're a guy and you didn't read it. 
But uh, I hope you, I, I really want everybody to go read it because I think it will give you some insights in the story of Jonah and uh, something I don't have time to preach. So um, here's the question. Are there people that we are either unwilling, unaware, or unmotivated to think about and engage with them? I, I got a, a word that shouldn't be there. That other, second other shouldn't be there. Are we willing to engage with them as though God is for them? Are we willing to... Let me, let me read it again. I'll try to read it correctly. Are there people that we're, we're either unwilling, unaware, unmotivated to think about and engage with them as though God is for them? Sorry about the clumsy sentence up there. But that's my fault, not, not the editor's. Are there people that you don't want to think of them as God being for them? You remember, Jonah... Jonah, and I believe Jonah needed Nineveh to do some reparations first. They had, they had attacked Israel. They had destroyed some of the tribes of Israel. They had destroyed Samaria. They were charging Israel a tribute. They were doing a lot of bad things to a lot of people in the world. And, and, and Nineveh, or Assyria, and Nineveh was the capital, Assyria was a superpower. Assyria in that time was like the United States in terms of power in the world. They were a world superpower. And so this was a big entity and who could have done a lot to make up for the wrong they had done to other people in the world, including the Jews. And I believe Jonah needed that to happen before he could be for them. And think about your own life today as I preach this sermon. Are there people that you have trouble thinking about them and relating to them as though God is for them? Because of their lifestyle, because of could be about their race. They, there's still racism around. It, 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 it could be just, it could be very personal. It could be people who've personally hurt you. I, I, I have a list, of, after 40 years of pastoring, I have a list of people who've hurt me, uh, or I feel. That's what I think they've hurt me and, and, and hurt others, hurt people I cared about. And I got, it's challenging for me sometimes to think of some of those people as God being for them. As God deep, deep, deeply loving them and wanting to help them and rescue them. And God doesn't even need them to come and make up for what they did or I perceive they did to me. Jonah chapter 3 verse uh, 6. We're going to start there and then we're going to read the rest of the chapter. When Jonah, Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. By the way, Tarshish was, we would today refer to it as Timbuktu. It was as far west as you could go and still be in the known world. It was down, way down by the Straits of Gibraltar. He was going to go as far away 
from Nineveh as he possibly could go. So that's what he did. Did I, did I, flee, I was by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and set it in shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give it shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should, and listen to this, this is really important. And should I not have concern to think about how God, think about when I read this, think about how God looks at the world. Think about Boston. Think about Providence. Think about Hartford. Think about New York City. And, and God says, Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there were more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right friend from their left? There are 120,000 children. And also many animals. Now, Jonah is sitting on a hill outside Nineveh, waiting on judgment to fall on a culture that had rejected God. Sound familiar? A, a, a culture that intended ill toward him. Seriously hurt the people he loves. As I said earlier, it was a world superpower posing as a threat to freedom for the rest of the world. And Jonah, as I think about that, sitting up on that hill, waiting on the judgment to fall, I realize at that moment, as I think about that, that this is not just a story about a crazy prophet who got swallowed by a fish. This is a story about me. And perhaps it's a story about you. As we get so upset and worried and stressed out by a world that's rejected God and rejected truth and rejected wisdom, that it's easy for us to move to our hill, seek our own comfort, Pray that God will just take care of us and our family and put a shade tree over our lives so that we're not, we're not suffering and while we wait for God to fix everything that's wrong in the world. But don't you notice something? If we go to the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus, of all things, of all things, puts himself in the story. And Jesus compares himself with Jonah. I would think if I were Jesus, that's the guy I would want to, I would want to distance my name. I wouldn't want my name in the same sentence as Jonah. I wouldn't want to be comparing myself with him. But Jesus puts himself in the same sentence with Jonah, and he puts himself right in the story. He says, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, 
An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation, condemn it, for they repented at the great preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It's obvious that this gospel that we have as our treasure and this Jesus that we all claim to be our savior and our leader and we all how many of you identify as a follower of Jesus Christ that this follower that to follow Jesus is to follow him to Nineveh to follow Jesus is to follow him to Providence to follow him to Boston to follow him to Hartford, to follow him to New York City, to follow him to Los Angeles and Portland and Seattle. To follow Jesus is to follow him into the lion's den. To follow him is to follow him to prison, Joy. To follow Jesus is to follow him to 122 Charles Street and open up a, a house of hope for that city. And as I, I, th- I hope you guys kind of know what that story's about. That story's about a vision we've had for a long time to provide a room in the city. And we want to provide housing for people whose family members are in the hospital while they're in the hospital. And some of you have experienced that. We have housing here in Menden for them, but we found out the drive is just too far. They need to be in the city. And, and there's already some incredible conversations going on. They're too early to talk about them. That God's going to open a door because we are called to Nineveh. We are called to be salt and light in places that are dark. Now, how is, Jonah, how is Jonah a story about us, us and others? I know that makes some of you very uncomfortable to think of us and them. You, and it makes me uncomfortable too sometimes to think us and them. And I've read the scripture over and over. I've been doing this deep dive into the scripture lately, thinking about us and culture, gospel and culture. And I can't, I can't resolve this problem with us and them. And I know that makes some of you uncomfortable. You don't want it to be us and them. You just want it to be us. But you have been, you've been called by God. You are the people of God. And I can't change that. I don't, I don't run the show. I don't know. I know you, some of you think that. I, I don't define how this is supposed to be. I don't get to do that. So God has said, we're the people of God. He said, those are my people. These are my, these are my followers. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. So God must have a reason for that. God must have a reason that he wants to distinguish us and I think this story tells us something about that. Let's look at a couple of passages, one by the great Apostle Paul, one by, by uh, Apostle John. Ephesians 3.6 says, This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in this promise in Christ Jesus. The Gentiles. Think of how that felt to Jewish ears in the first century. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. That was so offensive to them. That was so off-putting to them. So 
so yes, we are the people of God. Yes, we are us, and they are them. But God has a plan for them. And God has put us here to be salt and light and a balm of Gilead. This is the scriptural term, a soothing, a soothing and an illuminating force for them. Then we look at John chapter 1, verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that was made has been made. In him was life, and that light was the light of all mankind. We are like Jonah. We're part of a group who are in a covenant relationship with God, much loved by Christ, and are called to a holy and pure life. Like Jonah, we are correctly concerned about the corruption, the cold-heartedness, the cruelty, and the sin that's in the world. Like Jonah, we get to a point where we just want to step in. We want God to step in, I should have said. We want God to step in, judge evil, give us the life of peace and tranquility that we've been promised. We, like Jonah, we become, we become sometimes belligerent, angry, resistant when we realize the extent of culture's evil and God's seeming slowness in dealing with it. We, like Jonah, can move to the hills where we seek our own comfort while we wait for God to fix the world, bring judge, judgment, justice on the world. Here's a great shock in the story of Jonah, though. Jonah was the only character, the only thing in the story that resisted God's will. I told you in the beginning, this is going to be a rough series on Christians. This series is designed to beat up Christians. <laughs> the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God, right? And so... The only thing that resisted God's will in this story when confronted with God was Jonah. The wind obeyed God. The sailors on the boat, if you go back and read chapter 1, they bowed before God and made him Lord of their lives. The fish obeyed God. Uh, the king of Nineveh obeyed God. The people of Nineveh obeyed God. The animals even obeyed God. The cows obeyed God. The plant obeyed God. The only thing in the story that didn't obey God was Jonah. Do I need to apply that? Do I need to explain why that's important for you to know? That you can be God's special treasure. Everybody that raised kids, you know what I'm saying, about to say. That little darling can be your special treasure, but be so much of breath, <laughs> so stubborn, so willful, so determined to do what they want to do. I mean, I watch, I watch, uh, I watch uh, you know, my kids, my grandkids grow up, and they all have that strong will, as you see that. They're, they're beautiful, they're wonderful, they're ours, we love them, we would never, ever not love them, but we're like, we're like that with God, Right? We're like that with God. But the, the, the good news for Christ's followers, though, see, Jonah's name meant dove. But he behaved the opposite of how God had defined him. And when I do not behave redemptively toward other humans, when I do not behave forgivingly, 
when I do not behave truthfully and authentically toward other humans, when I do not take risk with other humans that they re could reject me by telling them the truth, I am not behaving as God has defined me. Uh, the, the, the good news is Christ's followers in the house who are sitting on the hill waiting on God to deal with a broken world and acting the opposite of how God has defined us. Christ is not ashamed of us. And he, does, he will gladly tell the world, just like you with your bratty children, you will tell the world, they're my kids, I love them, don't you touch them. Christ is saying, I willingly sacrifice my life for the world. Father, forgive them, they know not what we do, not God damn them. You can, you can recover your identity by taking me to the world. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew. You can recover your identity, you can do Jonah right. So we must not, here's the deal, and here's what I want to say today. We must not resent our role as redeemers, as social and spiritual first responders. I'm talking about the broken world. We are called to the scene where the crime has been committed and where the accident has occurred. We, the people of God, have always been called to pick up the pieces. Once again, we're faced with that situation. Here in the 21st century, our society has dismissed God again. They've dismissed God as a source of knowledge and wisdom and asserted humankind as the experts on good and evil. Have you noticed that? Do, do I, I don't even have to give you stories about news stories about humankind has asserted themselves now as the authority on good and evil. Mike, uh, you saw the story about Mike Mulberry, right? How many saw that story? Mike Mulberry, the former uh, uh, Bruin. And I guess he made some stupid joke about the, 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 the guys in the bubble playing uh, hockey. Uh, he said, it's a good thing they weren't distracted by women. And he got fired. He got removed from the show because he made this statement. We have become the experts on good and evil. And I have no, I'm not offering any opinion on that particular story. I just give that as an example of where society has gone. We have once again, we've anointed ourselves as God capable of dispensing justice, capable of dispensing mercy. Once again, that's what we've done. Once again, the 21st century humans have once again anointed ourselves as God's capable of, of dispensing justice and mercy. That's the world that Jesus loves. That's the world Christ saved. That's the one he says... The one that says, we don't need you, God. God says, Christians, my people, I want you to humble yourselves and go pick up the pieces when the way they're doing it's not going to work. And it's going to end in tragedy, and it is already ending in tragedy, and it's got to cause more pain and suffering because it's not God's way. And I'm going to tell about that stupid story I brought up. I didn't mean to conflate those two. But I mean, overall, overall, mankind picking up the mantle of being God and dispensing mercy and justice without consulting with God or his wisdom, dismissing the Bible as a book that has no authority, no moral authority anymore, and replacing it with new and novel philosophies that are not going to work, but they're going to cause more pain. You know what the role of the body of Christ is? is not to point our fingers and not to fret, but our role is to be ready to go pick up the pieces when they're way doesn't work. Nietzsche, the 
the philosopher in the uh, 19th century, he given, he's been given, given credit for announcing that God is dead. Is dead. And here's what he actually wrote, and I want, to, I want you to see it. Where has God gone? I shall tell you, we have killed him. You and I, we are all his murderers. Who gave us a sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? Think about the words that Nietzsche said there. He realized we're wiping away. When you, the word horizon is a metaphor for hope. The word, the word horizon is a metaphor for, for a positive outlook. Nietzsche understood what we were doing. He believed we should do it, by the way. He didn't believe in God. He believed in the deep reasons why he had made this decision. He didn't believe in God, but he understood what we were doing. He said, You're, we've, who gave us a sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What did we do when we unchained the earth from its sun? Has it not become colder? Is more and more night not coming on all time? Must not lanterns be lit in the morning? What Nietzsche was saying is the world is going to grow cold and dark when you kill God. And here's the news for the body of Christ and the Christians and those of you that are here this morning claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You've got the lantern when it goes dark. You've got the light of the gospel that will never be put out. And the church, some people are worried about the church today. And I hear that all these pastors are going to resign. Uh, some, some are speculating 20% of pastors are going to quit before this, this problem is over. I want you to know the demise of the church has been predicted about a thousand times and the church is not going anywhere because we have the life of God and we're, we're yes, that's a good place to give God a hand. And we are a part of the kingdom of God and we have been oriented to reality. I tell you, that's what salvation, it's not just a little bless me club to get what you want and give you a comfortable life, but it's an orientation to reality. And the reality is God is is, is, is ensconced in the fabric, in the structure of reality, and the kingdom of God is marching forward until the day when Jesus Christ Himself will return and restore the planet back to all its beauty. Man, if we had hours, we'd just explore why, but this is true. Number two, what changes does the Jonah story not call us to? The story of Jonah does not call us to be ashamed that we are the people of God or hate the church. The story of Jonah does not call us to personally compromise our moral convictions. The story of Jonah does not call us to willingly give our children over to secularism and society. The story of Jonah does not call us to never confront the culture with truth. God did not say, Jonah, it's okay. It's clear pagans are nicer than the people of God. I'm abandoning the mean-spirited people of God and going to give myself to the nice, noble pagans. No. You are God's. God didn't say, you know all that stuff I wrote about sins and transgressions? Now that I've seen how narrow-minded you Jews all are and how humble and magnanimous the Ninevites are, I have completely changed my mind about what is sin and what is righteousness. God did not say, Jonah, not only, am I, not only am I disturbed about your anger over my mercy toward the Ninevites, I'm also deeply disturbed that you talk to them about judgment. Why did you talk to them about judgment 
You misunderstood me. I I only wanted you to tell them that I loved them. And never meant to say that there would be consequences for their behavior. No, no, no. God did not say any of that. Yes, we are to be nice. We are to be overflowing with kindness. But we're not to go around telling people that God is judging them. But our calling is much more about, much more robust than merely calling us to be nice people. We need need to give people the opportunity for transformation. The transformation of Nineveh wasn't just, listen, wasn't just pie in the sky and the sweet by and by, but personal and cultural change for a society in the here and now. And that's the flavor of Christ. I'm going to talk about that in a, few, in a couple of minutes. The flavor of Christ that we bring into the world is to bring beautiful cultural change into our world. And if they reject it, so be it. So be it. We're not the final enforcers of anything. Jesus Christ is the final enforcer of everything. We're not the final enforcers of everything, of anything, but we will be blessed if we speak truth in love. Finally, what the Jonah story calls us to. Number one, to stop seeing the world as a problem, but as a harvest field. Jesus, here's the words of Jesus. Maybe you don't believe me. Maybe you'll believe Jesus. Open your eyes. And look at the world. It's so terrible. Look at the world. It's such a problem. And how they've rejected me and rejected you and rejected the church. And they don't like the church. And they don't like, just look around. No. Jesus said, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You know, you all heard the whole motivational story about the two-shoe salesman, Steve. You heard about it. Two-shoe salesman. You could tell the, you could tell the joke. Two-shoe salesman gets sent to the continent of Africa someplace and told to send back a report about the market there for selling shoes. And salesman number one wrote back, this is many years ago, so he telegraphed back, research complete, unmitigated disaster Salesman number two, I didn't finish the point. Unmitigated disaster, nobody here wears shoes. Salesman number two, research complete, same, same guy, same, I mean, same place, not a different guy. Research complete, glorious opportunity, nobody has shoes. <laughs> That's, nobody's righteous, glorious opportunity. For the people of God, glorious opportunity for you and my, me. Number two, start giving ourselves to the world even when our agendas aren't served. This is so important. Jeremiah 29, 7, what a great passage. Seek the peace and prosperity to the city which I have carried you into exile. Did, did, did you hear that what I just said? Hear what God just said? Seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. Wish we had time to talk about that. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Let me talk to you for a second about Jonah. 
Jonah wasn't well served by what happened in Nineveh. The king repented via hearsay. He didn't even ask to see Jonah. They didn't build... um, They didn't have the Jonah ministry established. He didn't build a Bible college there. Nothing was, his name was on nothing. Nobody even knew him. He got to preach a five word sermon. Wasn't a good career move. And then he had to face his friends back home who were going to hate his guts. Nothing about this served Jonah's personal agenda or interest. I believe the church has something to learn from this. I believe the church has something to learn. You know, we have bought into the false idea that personal salvation was for um, experiential satisfaction. Instead of reorienting our lives, as I said a minute ago, in the direction of reality. And so a lot of us sit around waiting on Christianity to work for us. When's it going to make, you know, make my finances get bigger, make my marriage better? And when's it going to do all these things that, that all the preachers said that it would do for me? And God does care about those things. By the way, God answers prayer. I, I, I pray about all those things. So I'm not trying to be holy or, or super spiritual holier than thou. But I have to keep coming back to the fact that God has put me on the earth not to have experiential satisfaction in the gospel, but to, but to uh, understand the gospel and to live as a gospel-saturated life, which means I am the light of the world, the city set on a hill, that I'm here, that experiential satisfaction is when I get to heaven, that, that will be, or, or when I get to the next when I get to the next realm, then there's going to be perfection. I'm now here. I'm on an, I, I, you and I are on assignment. We're on assignment. We're, 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 the, we're the Green Berets. We're the Navy SEALs. We're on assignment right now. And what we're doing is critical. And what could be more exciting than that? What could be more exciting than that? That's way more exciting than the perfect house with a picket fence and the two cars in the garage. That is so much more exciting to be on a divine mission than it is to be, fe- to be obsessed with your personal happiness all day. Culture isn't just there for us to change, but for us to permeate it with the flavor of Christ. We are salt and light. Do we know what that means? Salt exists for the benefit of the food. Light exists for the objects so we can see the objects together. Daniel Seidel said, a Christian, a Christian perspective should dissolve into enriching those cultural practices which we illuminate and season in order to bring out their flavor, not ours. We need to be salt and light for the culture, as Jeremiah writes. We need to seek the good of our neighbors, for that is where our blessings will come. That's why we're going to Boston. People in the culture aren't there to grow our ministries, but be brought back into relationship with God. Now, we don't want to just bring the flavor of Christ in the world unless, 
unless that's all they, they'll let us do, but we want to reconcile men and women to Christ. The Lord, but we need to understand the Lord is on their side. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says the Lord wants all to be saved. Finally, I want to say this to you. Take a walk into other people's lives to let them know that Christ notices them and God is for them. If, that, if, if that's all you can let people know, well, so they might not believe it. Of course they're not going to believe it all the time. You believed it. Are you the last person that God let in the door? Are you the last person to have a revelation of Jesus and the gospel? You are here today. Many of you are here enjoying the presence of God, enjoying the church. Are you the last person that will ever enjoy the presence of God and enjoy the church? You know, you know, you know the answer to that. I want to encourage you with this as, as I close. Jonah was a mess. He already hadn't slept when he got on that boat to Tarshish as he went to sleep. So we know there's one day without, he probably had had one night without sleep. Then he spends three days in the belly of a fish. That's four days without sleep. And then he walked a whole day to get it to, to Nineveh. That's five days without sleep. And he's been marinating in the digestive juices of a fish. <laughs> and he's been crying. He's been weeping a lot. His eyes are bloodshot. His skin is bleached. And he's, he's tired out of his mind. That's why he could only preach a five-word sermon. Because <laughs> there wasn't much left of John. <laughs> I said that to encourage you. You can do this. You can walk into your world. You can walk over and get to know your neighbor. You can even walk across this auditorium and meet somebody who's new. You can do it unprepared. You can do it after not sleeping well last night. If Jonah could do it. And not only that, he hated them. <laughs> God just didn't have a very good, a very good guy doing his work that day, right? It was just, boy, God said, this is all I got. <laughs> I'm going to send him. I'm like Jonah too a lot. I'm a mess. I'm beat up. I'm, I'm insecure. I'm, I'm irritated. I'm frustrated. God says, I want you, I want you to go. I want you to walk across the room, walk across the street, and say, hi, God loves you. I don't know, speak the truth. The truth will be different in different situations. There's somebody you probably need to really confront them, and you just really need to get honest with them about their situation, like Jonah did. There's somebody else that all they can handle is, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I don't know. Just Go do something in the world that you've been called to. Here's the deal. God has a competing vision for your life from the one you have for your life. I said God has a competing vision for your life than the one you have for your life. Now, that's true of every one of you in this room. Write that down. If you don't remember anything else I said today, write that down. 
God has a competing vision for my life than the one that I have. The one that you have is probably not evil. It's probably not awful. It's probably okay. But God has something else for you that you haven't really thought of. And he wants to give it to you. So I want to close with this. For the players at VCC who run the Blessing Barn, the Happy Place, the Crisis Center, and, all, and, and the Bethany Christian Academy and all kinds of other things. They all deeply appreciate all of you who are fans and all of you who are cheerleaders. We have a great bunch of cheerleaders. Thank you. But it's time for you to consider that God is calling you to be a player. 